Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. And today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And it is my prayer that the message you are about to hear helps you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey, if you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Okay. Ready? Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. All right, let me invite you to take your Bibles and open back up to the book of Psalms. We're continuing our journey uh, through this wonderful book of the Bible. Psalm 84 is where we're spending our time together this morning. Psalm 84, so go ahead and find that in your Bible. If you're new to the Bible, Psalms is really easy to find. Just open your Bible up to the middle of your Bible and you'll likely find yourself in the book of Psalms. Psalms 84 is where we are this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, uh, that's okay because in the book rack before you, down at the bottom of the seat in front of you, you should find a copy of the Bible. Pick that copy of the Bible up and find Psalm 84 with us. If you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible home with you. Read it and learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. Psalm 84. We have been in the book of Psalms now for um, for several months and, and we'll spend another six or seven weeks in the book of Psalms. So we're starting to get to our conclusion of this study. But what I've loved about the book of Psalms is it really, in a lot of ways, is, is and we've said this before, it's just like reading a journal. You are having the opportunity as you read through Psalms to, uh, to, to hear the experiences of, of followers of God and, and in their highs and lows, how they dealt with it and how they uh, spoke to God. And so it really is a helpful book uh, for us to consider as we learn how to pray, as we learn how to trust God. And, and so I hope that this journey for you has been good as we've studied these Psalms together over the last uh, couple of months. Psalm 84 this morning is the one we're turning our attention to. So I, I, I saw this story this past week on the news that I thought was just a pretty wild story. And so there was this lady, she lives in Florida, um, and down Brevard County, and and she, I guess she had a, uh, just a tough week because on on Saturday she 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 did what you know people who um, well some people do hopefully not you I hope you don't do this but she did what some people do after a, a tough week as uh, she uh, she got her a bottle of adult beverage and she uh, uh, she she took a couple sips and a couple sips led to a couple more sips and before uh, she knew it that adult beverage that she was drinking it began to have its effects on her body and 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 being quite intoxicated she decided to go for a ride in her golf cart because that's what you do, I guess, when you're any rate. So she got in her golf cart and she began to take a little drive around the neighborhood. Well, that drive around the neighborhood uh, ended up being more than a drive around the neighborhood because uh, uh, she found herself, actually, she didn't find herself. She was kind of out of it because she was intoxicated. Other people found her on I-95. 
Right? Fun, huh? In fact, I got a picture right here. So here she is riding right down I-95. I mean, because that, that's what happened. And, and, and as she's riding down I-95, can you imagine going down I-26 and seeing someone right there on a golf cart? Just, I mean, that's wild. But, but, but since she was highly intoxicated, what happened as she was driving down I-95 is that um, um, she passed out. I know that's not good. And so there was a, a lady who was driving a tractor trailer and, and she saw this golf cart riding down the road or whatever it was doing at that point because the lady was passed out. And, and this, this, this truck driver was able to get this lady over to safety somehow and got the keys away from her and all those kinds of things. Uh, the lady who was intoxicated uh, was arrested for DUI and rightly so, just a wild story. And, and you like me, you would say, as you think about that story, she was definitely on the wrong road. You have no business taking a golf cart on the interstate. That's not what golf carts are designed to do. That's not where they're designed to be. And so she was on the wrong road. And I tell you that to tell you this, every single one of you in this room, you've been on the wrong road. Before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you were on the wrong road. You were on a path destined for destruction. You were on a road to an eternity apart from the good grace of Jesus Christ. That was the road you were on. But then something, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, something happened in your life. You came to know Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. And then all of a sudden, you went from being on the wrong road, right, to being on the right road. And now here you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in this room and like me, you are on the road that doesn't lead to destruction. You are on the road that leads to life. And I just want you to stop for a moment and I want you to think, right, about how blessed you are. You are on the road to life. Because I think that what happens for too many of us is we oftentimes take for granted the work that Jesus Christ has done in our lives. He has forgiven you of all of your sins. He has given you new life and he has secured for you an eternity with him. That is who you are as a follower of Jesus. Someone who is secure in your father's love. You are on the right road. And I just want to remind you this morning, if you find yourself, which many of us do, if you find yourself on that right road in a relationship with Jesus Christ, now watch this, you are privileged. I know you know that because I think, uh, I hope at least that's why you're here this morning. You're here as a follower of Jesus because you know it's a privilege to be a child of God. And you know it's a privilege to be a part of the people of God. You know it's a privilege to be on the right road. Psalm 84 is helpful for us because Psalm 84 reminds us of what a privilege we have in knowing the God of all creation. And so as we this morning get ready to uh, take uh, Lord's Supper together and remember the death of Christ through Lord's Supper, I just want to spend a few moments in Psalm 84 and remind you why you're so privileged as a child of God. I want to give you three reasons from this text uh, that I think will remind you of the privileged uh, life that you have in Christ Jesus. Three reasons why you are so privileged in Christ. Take your Bibles, Psalm 84. Go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's word together. Listen to what the Bible says. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of armies. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. 
Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow, a nest for herself where she places her young near your altars, Lord of armies, my King and my God. How happy are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a source of spring water. And the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Each appears before God in Zion. Lord God of armies, hear my prayer. Listen, God of Jacob, consider our shield. Look on the face of your anointed one. Better a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of wicked people. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord grants favor and honor. He does not not withhold the good from those who live with integrity. Happy is the person who trusts in you, Lord of armies. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and for time that we have together to be in your word, to be encouraged by your spirit, to be reminded that it certainly is a privilege to be a child of God. And so Father, as we spend this time together in your presence as your people, we know that you're speaking to us. As you speak to us, help us listen carefully uh, to what you're saying to us with hearts are ready to respond in obedience and faith. And Father, if there is someone in this room this morning who has never experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray today that person would know uh, the love of Christ through his death and resurrection. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, let me just remind you, and I know I've told you this over and over again as we've been walking through the book of Psalms together, but when you think about the book of Psalms, Psalm 1 to 150, 150 Psalms, these 150 Psalms are divided into five different books. In fact, last week when we began Psalm 73 together, we began book three of the Psalms. And I know you know this because I've told you over and over again, but each book of the Psalms has a theme, right? Five books of the Psalms, these five books are supposed to remind us of God's law, the first five books, the Old Testament, but each book has a theme. And so you remember book one, the theme of book one was what? God saves his king. God rescues his king. Book two, God rescues his king and his king's people. Book three, which is where we are now, and I need you to understand where we are now. Book three of the Psalms has this theme. How could God abandon his king and his people. Because many of the Psalms that we see in book three of the Psalms were actually written during the time of exile. If you know the Bible story, then, then you know what happened. You know that, uh, that, that God had brought the people out of Egypt and he brought them into the land of Canaan and God established his people as a nation, the nation of Israel. God raised up a king, Saul, then he raised up David and then Solomon and on down the line. But what happened in the nation of Israel is they were unfaithful to God. And their unfaithfulness, do you remember this part of the story? Their unfaithfulness ultimately led them where? Into exile. And, and so so. They went into to exile in Babylon and, and, and in the northern kingdom, the Assyrians came in and, and captured them. It was, it was terrible. And so in exile, they would spend 70 years before God would allow them to come back to their land. And so just imagine what it was like for these people who are living in exile and the cries of their hearts that we're going to read about in this third book of the Psalms as they long to be back in the land and long to be back in the place of the people. In fact, if, if we were to go back and look at Psalm 70, 
78 and 79 and Psalm 80 and 83. All of these Psalms kind of encapsulate for us their experiences. For example, in Psalm 78, uh, the, the psalmist cries out, God, the nation's enraged, right? The nation's enraged and, and the temple is desecrated. You have these, uh, these psalms that cry out, God, restore us or send us back in the land. How long will it be that you allow your, your uh, enemies to, our enemies to, to defeat us, right? And so you have these psalms that kind of recount those experiences. And so we come to Psalm 84. Are you with me? The psalm we are in this morning, Psalm 84, it could have been written if it follows the pattern that we see in the the other Psalms in book three, it could have been written during that time of exile. This Psalm, do you remember the superscriptions in the Psalm, those little italicized words that are by the number 84, those italicized words tell us that this Psalm was written by the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah, we've talked about them before. They were part of the, the, the tribe of Levi. They had responsibility in the temple. I, I know you know this, but let me remind you of some Bible history. You know that, that God, when the people were in, in uh, the wilderness, instructed them to build a tabernacle. And that tabernacle, it was a, you know, the kind of a portable tent uh, that, that symbolized the presence of God on earth. Now, you probably remember that, that King David, he wanted to build what? A temple. He wanted God to have a permanent home, but God wouldn't let him do that. And so, so God gave the, the responsibility and the privilege of building a temple to who? Solomon. And so you can go back and read in the book of, uh, of the Second Kings and you can read in First Kings and Second Chronicles the, how, how Solomon constructs this majestic, this beautiful temple. The sons of Korah were there. The sons of Korah were there when this beautiful temple was built. In fact, uh, I brought a picture. This is an artist's rendition of what this temple would have looked like in those days. It was huge. Bronze pillars, the inside of the temple. What well, the Bible tells us that the inside of the temple, that the walls were overlaid with 45,000 pounds of gold. It was absolutely gorgeous and breathtaking. People would go there and they would present their sacrifices. They would worship. The sons of Korah had the responsibility of leading the musical worship. Uh, they were doorkeepers, gatekeepers at the temple as well. The sons of Korah, I mean, they really, in a lot of ways, made the temple their home. Because you think about it, I don't know if you remember this or not, but, but the sons of Korah, which were part of that tribe of Levi, when God divided up the land and gave land to the different tribes of Israel, he did not give land to the tribes of Levi. They were to live among the people and they were to serve at the temple. And so for the tribe of Levi, man, the, the temple, it was a big deal. And for this son of Korah, it was a big deal. The sons of Korah, now watch, come in real close and listen to me. The sons of Korah were there. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, when Solomon dedicates the temple and the Spirit of God, the cloud of God, the glory of God fills the temple in such a way that the priest could not even stand to minister. The sons of Korah were there in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 when the fire of God comes to the temple and consumes the offering. They saw these majestic displays of the glory of God at the temple. And then to go in the exile, to see how the, the Babylonians desecrated the temple and, and then to be away from the temple, you can understand what the psalmist says in verse 1 of 84. 
How lovely is your dwelling place. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. I just want to be there again. We saw a psalmist, a son of Kor, write a psalm similar to this earlier on in our study. But here we are again, another psalmist just desiring to be back in that place. To be back in the pre- Have you noticed this as we've studied the psalms together? These psalmists, what do they long for? They long for the presence of God. They know how important it is for them to be in the presence of God. And this psalmist, he writes, I I just want to be there. I just want to be in that place. I just want to be in the presence of God. And then you have this interesting line. Look at verse three. The, The psalmist, he thinks about the temple. He thinks about the courts that surround the temple. He says, even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself when she places her young near your altars, Lord of armies, my King and my God. You see what he's saying? Even the birds find safety in your presence at the temple. Do you hear what's going on? This is a man who desperately wants to be where? In the presence of God. Verse four, how happy are those who reside in your house who praise you continually. Here is a man, now watch this, I want to make sure you understand this. Here is a man writing this psalm who is what, church? Consumed with worship. I just want to be in that place where God is honored and lifted up. I just want to be in that place where God is worshiped. And I know you know the Bible story, but hang on with me. Let me remind you of the Bible story. I know that you know that after some time in exile, the people would come back to Jerusalem and they would rebuild the temple. You remember that story? But that temple would not stand forever, would it? Because in 70 AD, the Romans would come in and they would level the temple. If you were to go to Jerusalem today, you know this because some of you have been with me. There is no temple standing there. But you probably also know this. In John chapter two, Jesus made a visit to the temple. And when Jesus made a visit to the temple, he saw what church? He saw how how the religious leaders of the day had made the temple into a marketplace. He saw the money changers. He saw sacrifice being sold and he overturned the temple. And he said something like this, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. And the religious leaders, they looked at Jesus, what are you talking about? Do you know it took us 46 years to build this temple? Raise it up in three days? That's impossible. What they did not know is what you and I know. That when Jesus made that statement, he was talking about what? Himself. I'm the temple. Now, now, come on now. This is really good. You think about in the Old Testament, the son of Korah longing to be in the presence of God. But when Jesus comes, Jesus is the presence of God. He is God who has come as man, God with us, God walking among his people. And Jesus says, right, destroy this temple. I will raise it again in three days. And that's exactly what happened. This one who was God went and died the death we deserve and rose again from the dead three days later. And you probably know what Paul's going to say in 1 Corinthians chapter three. He he considers the people of God, the church, us. And he says something like this, don't you know That we together are what, church? Come on now, you know this. We together are the temple of God. Why would Paul say that? Because the true temple, Jesus Christ, the one who is the very presence of God, right? 
who died, rose again for us, has done what? Has given us his spirit. The spirit of God, the spirit of Christ dwells where, church? In you. In you. It's so good. Think about it, right? You get to be the temple. Isn't that good? You think about the son of Korah who longed to be in the presence of God, who just wanted to be in that place where God was worshipped. My friend, God has taken up residence in your life to empower you, to transform you, to change you. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but if it is true, and it's true, that God lives inside of followers of Jesus, do you know this? Everywhere you go is holy ground. It's the Spirit of God has taken up residence in you and given you a sacred mission. Do you see? I mean, think about this. This morning before I came here to, to, to preach the Bible to you, you know what I got to do? I got to get up. And I got to sit in my chair downstairs and I got to open my Bible. And I got to, to read the Word and I got to pray. And I, I got to spend time this morning in the presence of God. I didn't need a priest. I didn't need a church building. I didn't need to slaughter a goat. I didn't need any of those things. All I had to do was open my eyes and open the Word and spend time with Him. And I was in His presence. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to get to get up again at 5 o'clock in the morning. And I'm going to get in my chair again. I'm going to have my cup of coffee. I'm going to open the Word up. I'm going to read it. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to be in the presence of God. Tomorrow, my wife is going to take the kids to school and on her way to school, she's going to pray for those kids and then she's going to stop after she drops the kids off because this is what she does. She parks in the back parking lot at St. John's Christian Academy, the only place where she can find some peace and quiet. And she's going to sit in her car and she's going to pray and be in the presence of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in her life and in my life and in your life. And you have this tremendous blessing privilege of living your life in the very presence of the Almighty who lives within you. And so what that means, now watch this, you don't just go to worship, you walk in worship. Because what we try to do is we try to compartmentalize our faith, don't we? That that worship is, is, is what we do on Sunday morning, is that place we go to, is that building we go to, the house of God. And we'll call a place like this, the house of God, which I understand the sentiment behind that, but the reality is this place isn't the house of God. You're the house of God because he resides in you. You see, we don't go to worship. We walk in worship. What worship should do for us is worship should consume us that every day you have that desire. Colossians 3, to set your mind on the things above because that's where you belong, above with him. That every day you're making choices that reflect the reality that you know that God lives in you. You're, you're mindful of the things you say. You're mindful of your attitude. You're mindful of the way you interact with other people. You're mindful of, of those sinful desires that creep up within you because you know that your, your life is a, the place where God resides. And so you understand, right, that, that your life, Romans 12, 1, is an act of worship. Every day you lay your life down before God. God, not my will, but your will be done, right? Why? Because you realize that every day God dwells in you and you are walking in worship. But not only that, now watch this. You don't just get to enjoy God's glory. You get to declare God's glory. Why? Think about this temple that stood in the Old Testament. It's majesty, it's beauty, it's grandeur. 
That temple doesn't stand, but you do. The Spirit of God lives in you so that through the way that you live your life and through the way that you open your mouth, you get to what? Declare the glory of God. I don't know if you know this or not, but, 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 but it, really has, it really is as simple as what you learned in elementary school. Show and tell. That's your life. Your life as a follower of Jesus should be a life of show and tell. That you're showing others through the way that you live what you believe about Christ. And you're telling them the good news that there's one who came and died and rose again. And, and, and here's what I'm concerned about in my own life. And here's what I'm concerned about in your life as well. That you take for granted. You take for granted who you are. You take for granted the reality that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And because you take it for granted, you end up making choices that are inconsistent with who you are in Christ. You sin because you forget who you are. You get bitter because you forget who you are. You get jealous because you forget who you are. You get greedy because you forget who you are. You still sin. I just want you to remember. You're blessed. Because you are the temple of God. The Spirit of God has taken up residence in you. We do what every parent does when their kids go back to school. We, we, we uh, take pictures of Facebook because you've been doing that. I've been doing that because everybody loves to see everybody's kids going back on the first day. And we took the pictures of the boys this year. And some of you saw this on Facebook. Man, they, they look so good like their daddy, don't they? And so, so man, it's hard to believe Luke is in sixth grade this year. When we came to Northwood, Luke was in kindergarten. That's just hard for me to get my mind around. And, and, and Hudson went to third grade this year. And, and so on these boards, they, they wrote what they want to be when they grow up because that's what you always ask them every year. What do you want to be when you grow up? And I loved Hudson's response. Luke had a good response too, but Hudson's was, I don't know. <laughs> right? I'm young. I just, want to be, I just want to focus on being young right now. That was his response. Isn't that a great response? I'm young. I just want to focus on being young right now. Because here's reality. This world is always asking you the question, who are you going to be? What are you going to make of your life? We have students getting ready to go back to school, back to college, back to high school. And that, that question is looming. What am I going to do with my life? Who am I going to be? And I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know the path that God has for you, but here's why I know. No matter who you become career-wise, no matter what path your life go down, it doesn't for a moment change who you are. You are always as a follower of Jesus, no matter your career, no matter where you are, no matter what you do, you are always the place where God's spirit resides. You get to be the temple. But you also now watch this. You get to also embrace the job. You went too fast. No, no, go next slide. You weren't supposed to give that yet. Just stop right there. I was going to tell you about a journey. I was going to tell you about a journey. Because my, my, my dad had season tickets to University foot, Georgia football games when I was growing up. And you see, what I love about the church... What I love about the church is we even allow heathens to come here. Isn't that right? <laughs> so so we, 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 um, we had the opportunity to every Saturday that the Bulldogs were home to go to their home games. And if you're a, a, a Clemson fan, an Alabama fan, a Georgia fan, no matter what you be, you know this. You know that oftentimes the journey is just as important as the destination because you know this, right? When you get ready to go to that college football game, you get up early, even if it's a late game, you get up early in the morning, you pack the car with a cooler and, and you drive and on the way you stop and get some food and then you get to the parking lot and what do you do in the parking lot? You sit there. 
You just sit there and you talk to people until the game starts. You, you tailgate. The journey is just as important as the destination. I did go to Death Valley uh, uh, several years ago. Let me show you a picture. I, I got Death Valley. Go on to the next picture. The death, that's, yeah, the real Death Valley. Not, not, not the one in Clemson, but the one in, in Louisiana, right? And we went to that Death Valley several years ago. We went some, with some friends from, from the church I pastored in Louisiana. And, and we went in their mobile home. We went and spent the night in a parking lot so we could get up early in the morning to do what? To sit there all day for a game that started late in the afternoon. Why? Because the journey is sometimes just as important as the destination. Now, I share that with you to show you what takes place in the text. Look, we got to move. So, so the psalmist writes and he talks about wanting to be in the presence of God. And, and, but then he, he starts thinking about other people who lived in the nation of Israel. Look at what he says. Verse five, happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on circle this word, pilgrimage. Did you know this? That if you lived in ancient Israel, you had to go to the temple three times a year for three pilgrimage festivals. Not everybody lived in Jerusalem. Some lived in the Galilee area. Some lived in other parts. And to make a pilgrimage was a big deal because it could take you days to get there. I mean, you couldn't Uber or ride over. You had to walk or saddle up your donkey or whatever the case may be. And you made that arduous journey uh, to, to that, that place where you would go and worship the temple. And look at what it says. And this is interesting. You come down in, in verse six, as they pass through the Valley of Abaca. Now, that's an interesting word because when you, when you think about uh, Israel and the land, uh, we, we don't know of a place called the Valley of Baca. But that, that word Baca is actually, the definition of that word is, is, is a, a specific kind of tree. A specific kind of tree that would ooze sap that looked like tears. And so, so as a pilgrim would make their journey to Jerusalem, it could be a teary journey. Why? Well, have you walked three days somewhere before? Over rocky terrain? Through desert land? Have you done that before? I'll probably make you cry just a little bit. And so that's kind of the picture. They, they make this journey and it's what, church? It's difficult, right? But, but think about it. As they pass through the Valley of Baca, they make it a source of spring water. Even the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Each appears before God in Zion. It was a difficult journey, but it was a journey filled with what? Joy. Because as they made that difficult journey, their eyes, now watch this, those teary eyes, they were focused on the destination that this journey was going to end where? It was going to end in the presence of God. You're on a journey too, my friend. It's a difficult journey. You know this because your life has been hard. You've been through the valley of Baca. You've cried the tears. But as a follower of Jesus, you know where the journey ends in his eternal presence. You will be with God forever. 
And you think about this passage, it's, it's a reminder for me of the, of the now, not yet nature of the kingdom of God. That right now, I know that God dwells within me. Right now, I know I'm a part of his kingdom. Right now, I know that I'm part of his family. But there's a not yet. I know there's more to come. I know that I'm on a journey. And let's just be honest, sometimes the journey is what? It's exhausting. You ever felt that way in your Christian life? And you're living for Jesus and it's hard and it's exhausting and man, it's just tough. But I just want to remind you that the journey is designed in some ways to deplete you. It's part of God's plan. Because as God takes you on this journey that seems so exhausting, what is he doing? He is stripping away from you everything in this world that you're trying to hold on to. You know what Jesus said in Luke 9, 23. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me daily. Yes, I know the journey is hard sometimes, but listen, God is doing a refining work in you. Think about what Hebrews 12 says. In Hebrews 12, verse one, the writer of Hebrews says what? Therefore, let us set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, laying aside every what, church? Every weight or every sin that so easily entangles us. Part of the reason why you're so exhausted on the journey sometimes is that you've allowed yourself to be entangled. And instead of confessing those sins, you're holding on to them. God knows you're exhausted. He wants you to be exhausted. He wants to deplete you of the things in this world that you're holding on to. He wants to deplete you of your sinful tendencies and he wants to focus you, right? The journey is designed to deplete you, but never forget the journey is designed to focus you because as a follower of Jesus, you never lose sight of where you're going. The eternal presence of God. Do you see this privilege? This Psalm is just reminding us, my friend, oh, it's so good. We get to live a life consumed with worship, our eyes set on the King because we are his temple and we get to embrace this journey that yes, we're not there yet. We're not exactly where God wants us to be yet. But even on this journey, as hard as it is, God is with us, giving us strength from strength. So we might come into his presence eventually, sanctified, purified, acceptable because of what Christ has done in our lives. You see, this is such a privilege. And think about this. He's not done. Not only do you get to embrace the journey, you get to enjoy real joy. I love what happens here. Look, and we're, we're, we're going to be done with this so we can celebrate Lord's Supper together. But look at what the Bible says. Verse eight, Lord God of armies, hear my prayer. Listen, God of Jacob, consider our shield, God. Look at, oh, underline this phrase. Look on the face of your anointed one. Does that sound familiar to you? Think about it. Here you have this psalmist who, who might be writing this psalm while he is in exile. And what does he long for? The same thing David longed for, King David. King David in Psalm chapter two longed for what? A better king, an eternal king that would sit on his throne forever. And, and David says in Psalm 2, do you remember this? Oh, come on now, tune in real quick. Do you remember this? In Psalm 2, David says what? You have installed your anointed one on Zion. Now, here we are in Psalm 84. And, and this psalmist who perhaps is writing while he's in exile says what? Oh, we need a king. 
Oh, we need a king who will bring us out of exile. We need a king who will bring us home. We need a king who brings us back into your presence. And listen to what he says when he thinks about this king who will bring him back into the presence of God. He can't help but say, better a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of wicked people. Do you see? I need a king to bring me into your presence because in your presence, there's joy. In your presence, just one day in your presence is better than a thousand anywhere else. And you know who that anointed one is who brings us into the presence of God. It's Christ Jesus himself, the king who did come, who sits on the throne of David forever, the king who died in our place, taking the punishment for our sins upon himself, the king who rose again three days later, the king who gives us life, the king who now dwells within us, and the king who is going to safely bring us through the journey and into the eternal presence of the one who has given all for us. You see? And you know it. You know it. Come on now. That a day in the presence of God is better than a thousand anywhere else. Think about this. What this psalmist was understanding was that the sin that consumed the nation of Israel, that led them into exile was what? Draining. Yes, the journey of faith might deplete you, It might cause you to give up sin. Yes, the journey of faith might cause you to let go of the things of this world, but it doesn't drain you. You follow me? What drains you is sin. Think about it. Be honest about what drains you. Because think about it. Okay, come on. I I told you that this morning I got to get up at five o'clock and I got to spend time in the presence of the Lord. And Lord willing, I'll wake up tomorrow morning and I'll do the same thing. And, and, and the older I get and the more I walk by faith, the more I'm realizing like the psalmist that a moment in God's presence is better than a thousand anywhere else. Why? Because I'm learning in my own walk with the Lord, man, that this is where I get filled. This is where I get joy is living in the presence of God. You follow me? Now, let's just be honest. Some of you know this, but you haven't taken advantage of it. Every day you've had the opportunity to be in the presence of God. Every day you've had the opportunity to spend time in the Word. Every day you've had the opportunity uh, to, to, to pray. You've had opportunity this week to be a part of a life connection group. You've had opportunity to be in discipleship groups. You've had opportunities to practice the presence of God. But the reality is now, I don't, I don't want to make you feel too bad, but let's just be honest. The reality is, is why you've had those opportunities to practice the presence of God, what have you done? You haven't seized those opportunities. And instead, you've been filling your life with things that drain you. For some of us this week, we've spent way too much time on what? Being bitter, being angry. We've spent way too much time on on conversations of gossip. And those things drained us. The bitterness has drained you. The anger has drained you. The gossip has drained you. You've spent way too much time on Facebook looking at all those political posts. And let's just be honest, that drains you, doesn't it? You've spent way too much time letting your eyes see things they should not see or letting your mind think about things that you know don't honor the Lord. And it's drained you. See, the reality is you have this amazing privilege. The God of all creation lives in his people and has invited you to pray 
practice his presence every single day of your life. But yet you and I give way too much of ourselves to things that ultimately drain us while God has invited you to experience a relationship with him that fills you with joy. And so as we go to our time of Lord's Supper together, this is a call to repentance. Why? Why waste money? Why waste time? Why waste resources? As it says in Isaiah chapter 55, on things that will never satisfy when the free gift of God's presence through a relationship with Jesus Christ is available for you to enjoy every day of your life. You get the privilege of walking in worship on this journey, a journey filled with joy because of Christ Jesus. And so if you're a follower of Jesus in this room this morning, as we have a time of invitation, maybe you wanna come and ask God to forgive you of allowing things to drain you that are sinful. And maybe you wanna ask God this morning to help you to live a life filled with joy as you walk in his presence. Maybe it's time to get into that discipleship group so you can learn those disciplines that will help you to walk in the presence of God. Maybe it's time, right, uh, to, to, to uh, plug into a ministry in our church that will help you to live on mission so you can declare his glory. I don't know, but I do know this from experience that a moment in the presence of God is better than a thousand elsewhere. Maybe you're here in this room this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus. Today is the day to experience grace, to know that God loves you so much that he gave his son Jesus for you. And this man named Jesus was more than a man. He was the God man who came to live the life that you could not live perfect in every way and then went across and died for you. You deserve death, eternal death, separation from the grace and goodness of God. But Jesus died in your place as your substitute. He became your sacrifice. He took the punishment for your sin so you could be forgiven and given new life as you believe and what he did on that cross and believe that three days later he rose from the dead to secure for you eternal life, proving that his death was sufficient to cover all of your sins. And maybe this morning for some of you, it's time to begin a relationship with Jesus, to confess Christ as Lord, to turn from your sins and turn to him by faith. In the corners of this room are two crosses. There'll be someone at either of those crosses. And I'm gonna ask you during our time of invitation, just to make your way to one of those crosses and someone will pray with you and help you this morning begin a relationship with Jesus. If you're watching online, you're gonna see a number up here on the screen. Text the name Jesus to that number. We'll reach out to you today, help you begin a relationship with Jesus. I'll be down front. I'd love to pray for you as well. But however God leads you to respond to these moments, you respond by faith. Father, thank you for this morning and for time to be together. And just to be reminded that we are a privileged people who get to live in the presence of God because of the sacrifice of Christ. What an amazing joy. And Father, how often we take that privilege for granted and how often we turn to things that drain us, sin, instead of turning to the one who fills us with a spirit and eternal joy. Father, for followers of Jesus in this room, I pray that you would help us to once again realize how privileged we are. And as we realize how privileged we are, I pray that it would lead us to repentance this morning. And Father, for those in this room who might not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray that that person this morning would choose to believe that Christ died and rose again. And this morning, that person would give his life or her life to you. 
And so, Father, as we have these moments of invitation, may we be sensitive to how your spirit is speaking to us now and ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You rise to your feet as you have a time of invitation together. You come this morning as the spirit of God leads you.